Hello, I'm Samia Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Elena Percival. She's the CEO of Women Who Code, a global nonprofit dedicated to inspiring women to excel in technology careers. She has built this organization from the ground up to 300,000 members at this point. She's a super impressive and inspiring woman, and I'm so pleased that I got a chance to speak with her. Elena, how did you get into coding and what made you think, uh, you know, that, that you need to start uh, creating an organization to bring more women into it? Yeah, so I'm the uh, co-founder of the nonprofit Women Who Code, and I meandered to get to this point. I started off my career um, more in traditional industries, so I, I was initially living in Germany, working for Puma at the start of my career. And while I did have some projects with the interactive team, um, which was, you know, building technology uh, for the stores, like our custom shoe program and and things like that, um, I was still very much in that traditional industry pathway. And I had a really strong career uh, in that industry and in... um, 2010, I had the opportunity to move to San Francisco. And it was just one of those places where, you know, if you get a chance to go, it was on my list of places to go. And when I got out there, I struggled. I wasn't coming from, you know, Google or Microsoft or Facebook and, you know, any of the like the big startups um, that were technology leaders at at the, that time. And I said, you know, I need to change my skill set. I started learning to code. And what happened is I just fell in love with spending time with smart women. It was uh, just really exciting. And it was it was fun to find a community and, and be part of it and find that sense of belonging in the tech industry that my, my career hadn't given me up until that point. Um, and then I realized, hey, actually, this this fun thing that we're doing is actually important. Uh, So my career had um, taken me to um, one of the top technical recruiting organizations in the Bay Area as their head of developer outreach. And so I was getting to run the philanthropic arm and spending my time with um, CTOs, vice presidents of engineering, uh, like funded founders, and all of the people who are getting placed within these organizations or into these roles, they were the people who were getting the the multi-million, billion-dollar exits. And I saw that fewer than 5% of the people getting that job, those jobs, were women. And so I started learning from the people that I was interacting with on a daily basis. I started um, learning about what they were doing in their careers, what they were doing outside of their careers, um, you know, how they were uh, progressing and started pulling that uh, knowledge into the programming that Women Who Code was providing. And that's where our, our mission around empowering diverse women to Excel and technology careers came about because we need more women in leadership. We need more access uh, to the top. We need companies designing for inclusion. And um, that's exactly what Women Who Code is focused on, 
helping you while you're in your career to achieve um, your greatest potential. Why do you think we need more women? You know, how come this was not something that people thought about, you know, like say 20 years ago? Why do you think now we are realizing that we need women? Yeah. So um, one, I think it's baby steps. I think um, years and years ago, um, maybe a little bit more than 20 years ago, like uh, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when my mom was graduating from college, she was able to kind of pursue being a, a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. So then just one generation later, um, you know, they they stood up with the first sort of feminist way women should be allowed to work. Um, and now I'm standing on a platform saying women should be allowed to be viewed as leaders. So I think, or it is important for a couple of reasons. Um, first, very basic numbers. When women, uh, when there's diversity at the executive level, in the boardroom, companies perform at a higher return on investment. So there's a fiscal responsibility to have inclusion at the, the top of, um, of your organization. Um, right now, uh, and you know, I know the United States alone, 50,000 new leadership roles in technology are coming about over the next five years. So, and the, the current market um, is more than a million engineers shy of what needs are because every company is going through this technology evolution. And so if you ask any any recruiter, um, you know, getting the, the talent you need is is very difficult. It's um it, you know, it's a um a battle um to to get that. And so one, it, it's not a zero-sum game. Like we actually need more uh technologists we need need more uh technical leaders um and then when women are represented in leadership when women gain earn more money they return 90% of that into their families and their communities creating a virtuous uh giving cycle and so it's it's important for at the industry level it's important at the company level and then just you know at that that global level I will tell you one other reason that I think why it's yeah. important and you can tell me what you think. Simply put, it's an experience of life. It's like it's another enhancement of um, human experience. Mm -hmm. And by not uh, being in those leadership positions, um, you know, and not experiencing the beauty of developing technologies and, and designing technologies, um, women are missing out on one side of human experience. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I think that's that's uh, as important as a, a reason than anything else. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I always thought that I wasn't good at math, and uh, you know, my parents didn't think I was good at math. You know, my teachers didn't think that I was good at it. And then later on, I actually discovered a love for math. You know, mm -hmm. many many years later, like even a few years ago. And, and I started teaching myself uh, linear algebra and then, you know, I started teaching myself um, Python and I really fell in love with it. And I realized and I was like, I felt like I was robbed of that experience growing mm -hmm. up because it was believed that women were not going to be good at it. You weren't uh, encouraged, you know, so. Yeah. And that's a nearly like 
ubiquitous experience that um, I hear over and over again from our community. And sometimes it's incredibly blatant of people tell me, oh, you know, I I was told girls aren't good at math um, and, and very blatant. And then over and over you hear women not being encouraged when they do show aptitude in math. And, and in my own personal experience, I'm, I'm not a strong writer. And when I was a child, every single time I would do standardized tests, I was off the charts on, on math. And I was like very average on, on, um, on writing. And I was always encouraged, oh, you know, go into writing, go in, go into languages. And, you know, what, if you just look at my, like my natural skill set that I was bringing to the table, I, I had that exact same experience that you're, you're speaking to of actually, I, I should have been encouraged in the area of, of my strength. And I see that replicating itself over and over again in the workforce where, Again, it can be very blatant. I have a, a woman who code member who um, graduated with a CS, a master's in CS from Stanford. So about as validating of experience as you can have as a technologist, a top school, a master's degree. And when she went to go interview with a top technology company, they said, have you thought about marketing? that that all of the um the young men or uh, who were graduating alongside her with that same degree never heard that i i guarantee you that um they heard you know you you seem to be able to talk about the product really well have we we should be putting you on the the promotion track you know like we have to hire you and um and so it it derails you over and over again from your chosen path, from your uh, prominent skill set. And so as we see and as we support more women into um, technology roles and leadership roles, it will help us to break down the biases that we have that, you know, you and I don't look like leaders, um, that, you know, the 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 leader um, that is is in your mind. Um, and goes to benefit and reinforce, um, you know, the predominantly white male counterpart, um, actually, um, uh, you know, people who look very different come from different socioeconomic, racial, um, gender backgrounds have, um, just as much potential, but they're facing more barriers as they're, as they're coming to take on those leadership roles. And actually, in, in my case, because I was born and brought up in Tehran, in Iran, um, I actually ended up uh, going into human sciences. That's what they call it. So I didn't go into math. And and I, I would say probably one of the biggest regrets of my life is not pursuing math and physics, um, you know, a lot earlier. And I then went into philosophy and that was like my um, kind of alternative to, so I, I do have a very logical mind. I put that in into philosophy. And, and of course, I'm also good at writing. I, I'm also like a creative. Um, I would say actually I'm probably like bang in the middle, but um, I, I really loved, actually I loved physics, for example. I was so fascinated by physics. 
And if I could be born again uh, in a different environment, you know, I would I would want to be a physicist. You know, this is like one of the biggest regrets of my life is not to be able to read a physics a technical physics book and and actually understand the math. So I I read a lot of physics books that are mm-hmm. written for the layperson that are mm-hmm. not you know mathematical. I find it really a shame that I can't you know like because now my life experience has taken me into a different. Um, a different path and I've put my efforts into building a business now you know and mm-hmm. and that's that's a different way so uh, one of my goals in, in the business that I'm building is I want to build a very successful business and I want to be able to use the money that I, u- I make from that to supporting young women women of all ages really especially young women who come from the kind of background that I do uh, and and discover those people who have talent, especially in areas of math, physics, and science, and uh, encourage them and help them and and sponsor them to go through these education, uh, you know, educational path. But one thing that um, does uh, come to my mind quite often is that why is it you think that a lot of women, when they create organizations like this, they create nonprofits. Why nonprofit? You know, because it, it, it sometimes it bothers me that that it's almost expected that women should create nonprofit uh, organizations um, rather than for-profit organizations. Yeah. Because you think about people like Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. You know, yeah. like they would take, uh, or or even uh, Melinda Gates. You know, they they would often take their wealth. And then they put it into a nonprofit as opposed to investing it into women, you know, mm-hmm. when, when considering how little women um, get funding. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you asked that question, because whenever people come to me for advice around starting a nonprofit, I ask them, do you really need to start a nonprofit? Could it be a B Corp? Could it be could it be a, a mission driven for profit, um, you know? Can you build something that you could eventually have acquired or IPO um, that that you can you know build wealth and ownership for you and your employees? I, uh, having been at a nonprofit for ten years, um, I, I would definitely not um, go the nonprofit route again. I think that unless your from the beginning primary approach is going to be. Uh, fundraising through, you know, government grants that only go to uh, nonprofits or, or something along those lines. Um, it go for for profit. I would say ninety percent of the uh, the funds that that we receive um, are not received because of us being a nonprofit, and it also stops us from being able to take venture funds. So, you know, if we want to do um, a data project where spending three years in improving our member experience, uh, we can't go to Sequoia. We can't go to, uh, you know, first round capital and and ask them. And I've had investors say, hey, we love what you're doing, but there's no equity and that's what we do. What, so why did you choose that? And can you not change that? Is, that, is this your full-time gig? Like you're focused on this? Um, so this is is absolutely my uh, full time. I also uh, teach women lead in technology at Georgia State University, um, and 
in my spare time, um, I'm a scout for Picos Capital, um, and which has a, a global approach and a venture partner for Valor Ventures, which is just focused on Southeast investments. And I'm a full-time mom as well. I, I have two young children. Um, so I, I certainly have considered um, building out a, a for-profit arm, but our organization at this point is also it's a volunteer-driven organization. We do many other things that are are product-based that um, actually could be a you know a, a for-profit company that you know some of the proceeds are going to support the nonprofit or, or something along those lines. We could structure it that way. But our core community product, we have over six hundred volunteers around the world that are building technology education that we're able to provide free to our community of 320,000 technologists in 147 countries. That is like we've grown into our our nonprofit. Yeah, super interesting. Okay. Um, Let's talk about children. So you said you have two children. Uh, How old are they? What uh, boy, girl, um, what, what are you learning from uh, yeah, for tell, first tell me, are they boy, girl? Yeah, I have uh, two boys, and they're both about to have birthdays, but they're currently two and four. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, so you don't have a girl. Um, I was wondering whether you think boys and girls learn math differently. This has always been a question for me. I wonder if, because you know that experiments do show that when women do math, different parts of the brain is engaged. So I wonder mm-hmm. if the way that we are teaching these technical skills and mathematical skills that it's designed for a male kind of mind and logic. What what are your thoughts on that? I I, I don't think there is enough research on it. Yeah, I um I don't have any specific experience in that, but what I would say definitely uh, exists is that uh, that confirmation uh, bias of going through your your math learnings men are expected to be good at math and girls are expected to not be good at math. And therefore that, that comes forward in the bias and, um, you know, the teaching process and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Confirmation bias is, is definitely so important. Um, especially when it's drilled into your head since childhood, that's definitely something that really affects, uh, you believing in yourself to be able to actually do do these things. Uh, you know, I, I chose not to have children because I found it extremely difficult to build, for example, a business the way I want to build and also have a family. Is this um, is this something that you think also affects women? Uh, you know, because a lot of times by the time they come to the top of their, uh, you know, their career, the, the point where they're about to get these uh, incredible opportunities, Oftentimes, that is when they go and have children, and then uh, there's this this gap, and then they find it harder to come back. So, what's your experience and observation been from working with women who are trying to succeed in technology in that regard? Yeah. So, I I my personal experience is that it was very hard. You know, I felt every single time I took parental leave that I kind of had to fight my way back and redesign what I can say yes to. You know, I I remember I used to think sometimes the like the monotonous stuff that was an add-on, like, yeah, I can take that on, was 
satisfying, you know, like it's fun to do some things that, you know, aren't strategic sometimes. And, you know, if someone else can do it and I like, I don't have that extra, you know, I can just work, continue working anymore. Um, and so I, I had to really change, um, what I could say yes to. I also think it's critical for us to focus on parental leave, um, not just maternity leave, because there are, you know, more than one parent in most situations or in, in whoever is, you know, the, the non-birthing or the traditional uh, concept of the mother, the other parent needs to be given space, whether it's a, you know, adoptive or biological, that parent needs to also take on a large amount of the responsibility. And it starts with that parental leave. So you can imagine if you give someone, you know, the United States, paltry six weeks off in many circumstances, or um, even just, you know, a year off, you're reaffirming that, hey, this is the person who's taking on the lion's share of the responsibility for um, for caretaking. And that has ripple effects for the next 18 plus years in who's taking on the responsibility for the children. So it's really, in my opinion, critical for all parents to have have leave at Women Who Code. When we set out our leave plan, we made it um, equal for the birthing and non-birthing parent, whether it's adoption or or birth, for you know all parents to to have that parental leave. Yeah, definitely, definitely. This is something that uh, plays a lot on my mind. So you know, before before we had uh, the the current platform that I'm building is called Impeak. Before we were Impeak, we were Fanpeak, and we were focusing mm-hmm. initially on women, and then we decided to expand. And one of the reasons why we decided to expand is because there just weren't enough women interested in technology. It was so hard to get women to become interested in adopting new technologies. And and one of the areas that we focus on a lot right now is the metaverse and Web3. Why do you think it's so hard to get women interested in technology? Um, So we don't have that problem. (laughs) We have, well, certainly our organization called Women Who Code uh, tends to be about 90% people who identify as women. We serve you know, over 300,000 members around the world. Uh, certainly our, our target market is closer, is over 7 million, but we, you know, we, we've we reached a large, it's just a, a, a niche audience. Maybe that's another difference going back to the for-profit versus nonprofit is, you know, we're able to specifically have a niche target audience, but all genders are are welcome at our events. And, and frankly, I like you've changed your branding, especially the next generation, the word women doesn't, doesn't resonate, doesn't feel like it's a, a fit. Uh, and so, you know, at some point we, we might have to think, rethink our branding as well. Yeah, definitely. That's why, you know, um, it was just becoming so limiting to have that femme in the in the name, whereas mm-hmm. with in peak and now we are like our slogan is in for inclusive, inspired, mm-hmm. in the know, in this together, and, mm-hmm. and we we found it so hard. We got so much antagonism, uh, you know, around it. Um, some women didn't like it, 
mm-hmm. uh, because they were like, you know, it just feels like weird. I don't want to be in a women only thing. And then mm-hmm. men didn't like it because uh, a lot of them, they, they equated it with feminism. So that was not the intention. So the only thing uh, that I could think of doing was actually you know, changing the name and broadening the audience and make it clear that it was open to everybody. Um, well, uh, this has been super interesting. So uh, you said that you have got about 300,000 women that over the last 10 years that you have been able to attract um, to the organization. Those are our current members. So we, of okay. course, over the years have served far more. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. That's an incredible achievement. So you have played a role in so many people's lives. How, how mm-hmm. does that feel? It's incredible. Um, and the, you know, the individual stories is what drives me day after day. Um, you know, I just heard from someone who had received one of our scholarships, uh, a week ago, and her message was that, you know, she was learning all of these things, which is, you know, what you expect. But she said, I'm interesting. I'm introducing other people to it. I found my voice. I found my place. I found advocacy through Women Who Code. And that resonated with me even far more than the career outcomes that that she was experiencing as a result of being part of it. But, you know, our one of my one of my favorite um, stories to tell because it's just like it's so spot on is our Toronto director when she stepped up uh, with Women Who Code was an individual contributor at her company and I remember her messaging us in Slack that she had gotten promoted to lead about six months later and then less than a year after she'd stepped up she wrote to us and said Hey Elena I've taken on a director role in under one year. She climbed two rungs in the ladder. So this is a person who, smart, talented, had potential, was practicing leadership within Women Who Code for an entire year and just really accelerated her career. Probably what she would have achieved in three to five years, she achieved in under one. That sort of message is is just what makes me so excited to hear from our community. And I have so many of them, I, I could just keep going. That's incredible. That's incredible. So for people listening to this, what what are you looking for now? Like, how can people support what you're doing? Oh, so um, I invite everyone to go to womenwhocode.com. If you just enter your email, our membership is, is free. So you can uh, come to our close to 2,000 free technical events, have access to our coding scholarships. And then if you are at a company that's hiring, we have a job board. Make sure that your company is posting on our job board. If you or your company has the capacity to donate, $27 enables us to provide an entire year of free programming. So those 2,000 events for our community, $27 enables us to provide that for our community. And what that means is every single time we can keep a woman on her technical career path, it increases her lifetime earnings by about $1.7 million dollars. And that's about 1.7 million euro currently as well. So I love the math. You're clearly yeah. a math girl. <laughs> I love it. I love I love how you you put it into tangible numbers for us there. Um, that's fascinating. So womenwhocode.com 
you mm-hmm. go in there and there is a link where you can donate. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, uh, you know, join the, the mailing list, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Take it from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I, I, honestly, it's it, I have to say it's an honor to talk to you. You have done so much. Uh, I really uh, admire and appreciate the hard work that you have put into um, bringing so many women into, into tech. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone will consider joining Women of Code's blockchain track community. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to be looking that, into that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elena Percival. Be sure to follow Women Who Code and check out their website if you can support their great work. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.